In September of 2022, I recorded Mindfulness for Warriors, a review of a book by the same name. Well, in Kev Talks Podcast episode 22, I am so fortunate to have the author of that book, Kim Colgrove, with me on the show. In this episode, Kim and I talk about the tragic loss of her husband, David, to suicide. We touch on the weight of stories from other first responders, and that's public safety folks and military veterans alike. And then we talk about the wisdom, the tools and the resources that Kim has been studying for over 40 years that she shares with veterans, first responders, warriors, as we call them, as she calls them in her book. And then we talk about the Pause First Academy and the services it provides, the departments that use those services and the learning and the tools. And we have a really frank conversation about the initial treatment sometimes for trauma with medication, but not a holistic approach. And I just want to add that if you're in a dark spot, if you're in a spot where it's hard to get out of bed, where you're just not sure that you should be here anymore, let me tell you one you should, that you can get out of bed, and that this episode will help point you in the right direction from someone who has been at the darkest times, who lost someone she loved, and who then created tools for folks like you and me to use in our darkest hour. If you need help, you text HOME or 741741, or you call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255, and stay tuned to this episode, listen to it, learn from it, use the tools, go to the website, buy the book Mindfulness for Warriors, or get it from your library like I did. Thank you so much for including the Kev Talks podcast in your library of things to listen to. But I'm not going to hold you up anymore. Let's get to this great conversation that I was fortunate to have with Ken Colgrove. Three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming back to the Kev Talks podcast, episode 22. I am so thankful to be joined by Kim Colgrove, who is the author of the book Mindfulness for Warriors that I both read, used the tools in, and did a podcast episode about in September of 2022. So please go check that out. Um, really thankful that you're on the show. Thanks for being here so much, uh, Kim. I think I said thank you like five times, but I appreciate it. <laughs> well, thank you five times for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I mentioned, uh, last year was a tough one for me. I uh, had some family sickness that brought up a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, I had a panic attack, dealt with dealt with that at, you know, at the time pretty poorly, but throughout the year, expanded or rebuilt on a lot of my tools, right? Of, of better sleep, um, cutting back on alcohol, hydrating. I, I was exercising pretty well and then got more into mindfulness, which we'll certainly get into here and that you've been into for a long time. Um, but it, it just makes a huge difference. And we'll get into kind of how that works as well. But we also want to share, you know, kind of your background um, and and your history, because you have a, a long history of using mindfulness uh, in general, but then also the catalyst for what, you know, caused you to create Mindfulness for Warriors, the book, and then we'll get into the Pause First Academy. So um, where did you grow up and, and what led you down the mindfulness path? Well, I'm from Kansas City, Missouri and um, home of the Chiefs. Sorry, I had to stick that in there. <laughs> nice. Um, and so, and this is where I grew up. I'm like, I don't even know, third, okay. fourth generation Kansas Cityan, I guess. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, yeah, I have a long history with meditation. That's for sure. My parents had me trained in transcendental meditation in 1976 when I was 10 years old. Wow. So um, that's a technique. It's still around. It's it's a viable technique. It's what a lot of our research is based on, actually. Okay. It's not what I practice anymore, and it's not what I teach. But that definitely was the, the foundation that helped me create the methodologies I ended up using down the road. 
um, my parents were meditators and, you know, I, I look back now and I think a lot of people would have thought that was weird that they were having a kid trained, but I'm so glad they did because it's right. a tool I use my whole life. And, um, I was kind of a closet meditator for a long time until the early two thousands when I kind of came out of the closet, started sharing with people about it, taught a few small workshops. And then by January of 2011, I was teaching meditation and mindfulness full-time professionally oh, wow. um, in corporate settings primarily, but I also taught small classes and worked with private clients. So that's that's when I started you know, using meditation as a tool professionally and, and supporting myself doing that. And that was um, a huge transition because I quit mm. a corporate job that I loved <laughs> to oh, wow. do that. Yeah. What field were you in before you uh, took on mindfulness and meditation full-time? Oh gosh. Well, I worked for a company. It's not in business anymore, but it was called College Coaches Network. And we helped um, high school athletes get college scholarships. And I came from a oh, wow. big sports family. My grandfather was an NFL official for 25 years and worked five Super Bowls. Oh, my neat. dad played, yeah, my dad played three sports in college and played college football. My brother played three sports in college and played college football at um, University of Kansas. Okay. And um, so I came from that big sports family. And w when I started working for this organization, I I loved it. And I already got kind of understood the recruiting process. Okay. So I am, um, I developed and, and ran the customer service department though. That's really my gift. My strength in life is kind of customer service facing. <laughs> that's what I do best. I think. There you go. Cool. Yeah. And um you know that you can you can read the experience in the book mindful mindfulness for warriors uh you can tell even you know when you speak to someone or read kind of their words that you had that background kind of very knowledgeable all that all that great information um what we also read unfortunately is the story um about your husband david right which was a catalyst for the book and getting this out to more first responders and warriors can you just touch on um what happened and that process of you realizing you know what could this have made a difference? How do I get this out there to other first responders? Sure. Yeah. So I was teaching uh, mindfulness professionally um, in, in corporate settings. And um, I've been doing that for about six or seven years. And in September of 2014, my husband, David, retired from a 30-year law enforcement career. Um, he was a police officer for eight years. And then he was a federal agent for the last 22 years of his okay. career. So he left the house every day with a badge and a gun, but he, uh, his heart was really in business and he had spent the last two years of his um, professional life building and, and working on and creating a, a new company with a business partner. So um, oh, wow. he, he appeared ready to retire. He was excited to step into the business world because he had a master's degree in business management. So he was excited to make that transition, but also uh, terrified. At the right. same time, all, all he knew was law enforcement. Um, and so he retired in September and then unbelievably and unfortunately, less than three months after he retired, David took his own life. And that was the beginning of what changed the tra trajectory of my life professionally, right. because it really made me think about the level of stress and trauma that he was living with, that he carried, that went unprocessed. And right. what I realized maybe, you know, several months after he died was um, in his mind, he was going to retire and that kind of would all go away. wouldn't be in that world anymore. And then he would be okay. Cause he had plans. He had things lined up, right. but I, I don't think he ever really took care of all that. That was um, 
piled up inside of him. Mm-hmm. And that led me to think about all, well, I started with law enforcement, you know, thinking about, gosh, what, you know, what cops see and hear and do and endure and what they carry. And they don't really, you know, I knew, I didn't know all of his stories and some of his stories he would talk about very rarely right? because he didn't want to, you know, p- put that on me or other people. And anyway, thinking about that led me to think about all first responders. And I realized, my gosh, these people are carrying such a heavy load and there is no way for them to offload it because I knew part of what hindered my husband was he was never going to get the level of help that would have made a difference for him because he was always terrified that his employer would deem him unfit to do his job. Right. Right. So, so what are you going to do? Hold it in. Uh, so that that's why I then eventually, um, a couple of years later, uh, well, just a few months after David died, I started thinking, you know, uh, cops need to learn how to meditate. They need to know how to meditate. And they need to be learning it in the academy. I got all gung-ho about that. But turned out that getting uh, any police agency to allow me to teach their employees to meditate was a little bit of an uphill battle. <laughs> I would imagine, yeah. <laughs> It took me some time, but I did meet finally in 2017. I met a police commander who said yes, and I started teaching meditation and mindfulness to law enforcement and, and then opened it up to all first responders, social workers, you know, all these surrounding professions. Um, and that led me to, to write the book where I tell the story about David. I interviewed some veterans and first responders you know, who share how they struggled right. and, and what tools they found that helped them. Um, and they all did say meditation and or mindfulness, or they wouldn't have made the book, quite frankly, because <laughs> <laughs> right. that's what I was talking about. How that about. worked out, yeah. <laughs> but they listed a lot of other helpful tools, and um, I think that's been really um, important and helpful for first responders because they're reading from their peers, right, about tools that helped them. Yeah, that's a great point, and and we touched on it. Of you know, it's the book educated person that's never been in the situation that wants to talk you about, talk to you about the situation and how you should deal with it. It doesn't, it doesn't register right the same. And that doesn't mean that the tools might not work, but if, if folks haven't been there and for my exposure, one, thanks for expanding it is, is really firing a mess. I have some, some of the best friends are, are cops, you know, career cops, some are getting ready to retire, shared, you know, what you shared the other day, um, prepping for retirement, which we'll get into with some of the pause first you know, oh, yeah. courses and oh. stuff. Um, but also wanted to wanted to touch on it because for me last year, after I had a tough time dealing with tons of stress, I was like, I got to find solutions. And I just was like, like ravenous for those. Right. Cause I didn't want to deal with it. Did you find when, you know, a few months later you, you realize, Hey, I have to get this in front of more cops. Like, did you have that trying to find a solution that, that was kind of part of a coping mechanism for you as well? Oh my gosh having the skills and tools that I developed over years around meditation and mindfulness Mm -hmm. and learning from other teachers and taking courses and going on retreats and things that I had done for years, a hundred percent saved what could have been a devastating, just a devastating event for me. I can understand why people struggle to get out of bed. You know, why, why they shuffle around their house for months and don't know what to do with themselves if I wouldn't have had the skills and tools that I had developed, I, I could have really shut down because, you know, he, David was retiring. He was starting a company he was really excited about right. and I was building my company. So we were going to both be self-employed and we had plans. I mean, we were shopping for RVs, you know, we had our house, we were going to 
our grandkids were going to come to and, you know, and swim in our pool and have sleepovers. You know, we had plans and that all got wiped out. And I I can see that 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 was ruining a life. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes, I used a lot of the tools that are mentioned in the book and the mindfulness and the meditation and, and having developed the ability to bring myself into the present moment huge. And that self-regulation piece, because of course your emotions want to continually pull you back to the good times, to the previous times, to what could I have done differently? I didn't do enough to the day the incident happened right. And you could get Mm -hmm. stuck there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, and you mentioned and touched on, and I have kind of a, honestly a cheat sheet that we talked about. So using kind of, I talk about these foundational five things and the foundational five is a concept. So for me, between project management, incident management, if you can get the leader's intent, make some objectives, make like an org structure, get resources and communicate, you can solve pretty much any problem. And that's like taken from all the book stuff, but it's like, what has worked when we go somewhere to help after a missing person or a tornado or plan a vice president, all these you know events, which is great um, and tease those out. And so when I did the previous episode of the solo one, um, I said, you know, these are the five things that to me were most impactful and I think would be helpful for listeners. And I wanted to talk about those a bit more than one you already touched on, which was a, a great, I was sitting there like, oh, that's the, that's the segue. Um, but the invisible wounds, right? So all the things that we keep stuffed into that attic in the back of our head and either, like you mentioned, are, are afraid both one to probably show quote weakness because it's not weakness, right? But then also because employers in in previous years and, and probably still some now, but in previous years, haven't really supported that as much like, hey, they're pretty unsteady, not dealing with it as opposed to let's get you the help you need. Um, what are some of the, or, or some of those, some of those, you know, invisible wounds and dealing with it? Cause you also mentioned not dealing with it, which as we both know, some folks deal with it in a horrible way, right. With, with anger and withdrawal and rage and alcohol and drugs and all these other things. Um, what can some, some folks kind of look at for, and this touches on, on the other one of kind of predictors of suicide, but those invisible wounds in hindsight, are there, are there things now that you see that you either teach, you know, and, and you mentioned in the book or through pause first, like, hey, if you're kind of starting to see these, whether it's retirement or someone that's one year in or something, those invisible wounds where you can kind of, they're not so invisible, you know, if for folks, are there some tools that folks can use to spot those? To spot that in other people, mm-hmm. for sure. I hear stories all the time about people being at work and realizing, you know, she's just a little off. Like something's mm-hmm. not quite right. Or somebody's personality changes. Like he's really withdrawn. He used to be like jokester. And he's really withdrawn. So I think if somebody's demeanor or personality changes, noticeably changes, right. if you notice a lot of risky behavior, that's a huge indicator. A lot of they're drinking more um, when you're with them or when you run into them when they're drinking, they seem like they are just wasted. That could be that they're also using drugs, you know, with the... Oh, yeah. um, and, and other risky behavior. I mean, I've talked to so many uh, first responders who are kind of reformed risky behavior people who just wanted to drive motorcycles fast all the time and just do all kinds of mm. crazy stuff. Um, so y- y- there's a whole you know long list of, of suicide indicators. Um, but I think if you detect that something is really off or different about a person, just mm. engaging them in a conversation. And that's what people are afraid to do. But you can just right. say, 
Hey, are you doing okay? Like you seem a little off. Are you, I mean, I'm here for you, buddy. If you ever need to talk, you know, something like right. that, just to open, open a window because sometimes people just simply don't have anybody to talk to. That's a good point. Right. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's hard. It's actually not hard, but it's, it's hard some, some way, however that fits to, to reach out to some folks, right. Even if it's someone you work with all the time and it's that maybe afraid to cross that barrier, um, because do they want to hear the answer for real? You know what I mean? So if yeah, it's peer, that's it's such a good a point. There, right? That's such a good point because you, we do kind of have that thing sometimes where we're like, I don't really want to get involved, <laughs> you know, or, right. or it's just above my pay grade. Like I, if, mm. if, what if they do say something's wrong? I don't know what to do with that. Um, you know, and heaven forbid someone tell you they're having suicidal ideation, thoughts of suicide or right. feel like, you know, something like that, because you can't walk away from that conversation. You can't right. be like, well, hey, tomorrow's a new day. I mean, you, you know, so that's a good point. It's sometimes hard to ask. Um, and this is why really what needs to happen. I mean, we we can speculate all the, you know, what, what are good ways to approach this, but what mm. needs to happen is an overall culture change across all of these professions. And it needs right. to be a top-down endeavor and real and true mental and emotional wellness and health and well-being needs to be important. And it has to start with the leadership and the leadership has to mm. support it and model it. Support it Great and point. model. It's one thing to be a boss and bring in some training or right. get a clinician for your agency or whatever it is. It's one thing to support it. It's a completely different level to model it for people, talk openly about it and make it okay. And that's those are the kind of people that I've ended up luckily and accidentally over the years gathering around me. A couple of former command level people right. and um and, and then just others that I've met on my path, these are the true leaders, in my opinion, the ones who are brave enough, courageous enough to be vulnerable and be honest right. about their struggles, like to share with their people at work and, you know, and like, hey, I struggle to be open and honest about maybe going to therapy. Mm -hmm. And so start to normalize that. That's what needs to happen. The rest of us that are kind of on the leading edge of wellness, we can tiptoe around all this and try and figure out like what's the best way to secretly do it. But that isn't, I mean, people are dying. Right? Right. People are dying every day at their own hands. Right. And first responders' life expectancy is lower than that of the general population because of health problems and alcoholism and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. We are sacrificing human beings to these jobs and that's not okay. So the, the true leaders, the actual leaders, the bosses, and then those, not the actual leaders, but the leaders within the organization. And right. I know you know these, I know you've worked with them and you may be one, um, but they're leaders in a different way that are willing to step up, step forward, be honest and, and pave the way for this to be okay. It just needs to be okay. The fact that, mm -hmm. and this is what happened with my husband, for sure. He held in and carried this stuff for so many years because he was so terrified that anybody would think there was anything wrong with him. He needed to hold up to keep up the facade. Right. And he didn't live to be 52. And so that's not worth it. Right. It's not worth it to keep up the facade. It's not worth it. Right. Yeah. I, I totally know what you mean. There's, and you, 
you see it on, you know, critical incidents or something, and you know, kind of the white wave shows up, right? The white shirts with the collar brass and the leaders you mentioned are, are the leaders that have who knows what rank they are, but they're the ones people look to like on field decisions or in the precinct or the, the firehouse decisions. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and those folks are not, they may on the outside be stoic and, you know, look like, oh, they've got it squared away, but they could, they could be the worse off. Right. And, and just not showing it. And, and to your point to let folks, it's not a break, right. But to let them kind of release the pressure valve and say, yeah, you know what, I am going to go talk to somebody and, and learn that balance of, you know, someone may start the discussion with their crewmate or, you know, someone, you know, their colleague, and then educating the colleagues to know, Hey, if you hear these kind of things, it's all right to let other people know. Cause to the point you're like morally obligated kind of now. Right. Because yeah. it's better to, it's better to say something than not say something. And someone does take their life and then, and then you're like, Oh my God, why didn't I say something? Right. And yeah. so, yeah. The ripple effects of guilt around that. That's not worth it either. Yeah. That's, right. Yeah. Yes. Um, this, this just has to change. My dream is that in a decade or so, um, it, it, it therapy and, and time off for the invisible wounds and, and all that will be the norm mm. will be the rule and not the exception. So, yeah. you know, you're standing around shooting the, you know, what with buddies at work and, and someone goes, uh, oh yeah, when I get off my shift today, uh, I got, I've got therapy and someone else goes, you go to therapy. And the, everyone else in the room goes, you don't, that's weird. Dude, you gotta get <laughs> yeah. in therapy. Like you got to, if you're going to do this job, you got to be in there. Right. I want that yeah, shift to it the other way. The yep. norm. Yeah. That's the shift I want to see. Like before I die, I want, <laughs> I want to be able to know that that's what's happening across all these professions. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's so much um, help. I was going to say therapy, but there's obviously therapy and therapy, but it's so helpful at times it's painful talking about it, but it's, it's also a release, right. To talk to somebody, um, you know, and, and it doesn't make a difference when you do get trained professionals that are either from that field or very much understand that field. Um, That's and the you key. Can talk about it. Yeah. That's the key that when we talk about therapy and that therapy mm -hmm. is not the only way you can heal and get better. Right. It's and a lot of people are very resistant to it, yeah. but the key is you have to find a culturally competent mm -hmm. therapist that specializes in trauma. Right. You can't just go to, you know, just, just anybody. So, it, you know, a lot of people resist finding a therapist because of the finding a therapist part, <laughs> which I understand, <laughs> yeah. but it's worth it. I've had, yeah, I've had similar discussions and, and that's, that's the thing. It's like any product, frankly, you're not every product's the same. And by that, I mean, the quality of the therapy, the person giving you the tools um, and you'll feel it. And, and, and it's, you know, probably, a funky comparison, but like you find a good for me, I get my hair cut with clippers so I can go to a bar pretty much anywhere, like sports clips, whatever. But when you get that one that just cut just right, you're like, okay, I'm going there again. And it clicks right Versus, Oh, they really messed it up or, you know, something like that. And the same thing happens with, with therapists. And I haven't gone to a lot of different therapists, but there's a, there's a different, just like any other skill set. Um, and, and to that point, in in your dream, it'd be great if the if the institutions had already kind of filtered that out. And sure, there could still be some variability, but um, you know, those leaders, both mid level, low level, high level, whomever, can help vet those folks. Yeah, you know, we so where that. I where I live, we have um, in the greater Kansas City area. I work with another organization called the the Battle Within. And we, we do a five-day retreat in nature for warriors, veterans, and first oh, responders. And um, they come and learn 
the tools they need to use, they can use, you know, to, to get themselves on a healing path. Mm -hmm. And that organization has worked with some other local org. Anyway, it's it. Uh, let me just say, if anyone's curious about any of this later, you can always email me or call me or yeah. something and I can give you the information, but they have a very robust, well vetted network of therapists nice. just for veterans and first responders. Yeah. That's and cool. that's, that's through the state of Missouri. I live, I live in the greater Kansas city area, but just like barely over on the Kansas side, Kansas city is a border city, you know? Gotcha. Yep. Um, but yeah, they've done that. And it's a really robust culturally competent list. And that's what every agency and organization and area that needs to be focusing on um, for this demographic. And I think that a couple of the people I interviewed in mindfulness for warriors touched on the importance of finding the right therapist. So it's not just that they're right. culturally competent. It's that you vibe with them, that you you connect with them because not all personalities vibe with each other. So right. if you have two or three sessions and you're like, oh, we're just not clicking, then you, you, you have to go find someone new because you want them to be trauma-informed, trauma-sensitive, culturally competent, but also you want to be able to be really comfortable and, and click with that person so you can open up and get where you want to go with the, with the therapy. Yep. That makes sense. And, and again, you touched on um, the ripple effect. Well, the ripple effect of, of trauma is one thing, but there's also a ripple effect of suicide, right? And, and that was seen um, after your husband's suicide and then your nephew was it? Yeah. Or seven months later, seven months after my husband died. So, um, my, my husband and my nephew were extremely close. Mm -hmm. uh, my nephew has two brothers, uh, but he hung out with my husband a lot. My husband taught him how to fish, you know, taught him how to use tools, taught him how to, you know, look under the hood of a car, things like mm -hmm. that. And they were just buddies always. Uh, my husband would always, I remember him saying so many times he would hold his hand down and he would say, I remember when Nico was just this tall, mm. there was just something about that kid. Um, and, and yeah, then seven months after my husband died, um, my nephew, Nico took his own life using the same type of gun. I mean, it was just wow. horrible, just, yeah. just, just really horrible. And I didn't know that, that there was something called suicide contagion. contagion. Um, I actually heard about it from my hairstylist after my nephew died. She said, did you oh. know this is a thing? And then she explained to me, there was a family in the city she was from that had like, I don't know, like three or four different generations, like grandfather, father, like that had all died oh, by geez. suicide. And so that I looked into it, I read about it and I thought I would have not known about this. And, and I was criticized by one veteran for bringing that up in the book that said, um, uh, I'm just trying to guilt trip people. Hmm. And I mean, it's really hurtful to me to, 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 for anyone to think that I would mean any harm with this book. Um, but I think that part that was some of his own stuff, maybe, you know, coming in, here's what I know. When someone decides to take their life, um, I know one person who attempted and didn't succeed. Mm -hmm. And I've read books, heard podcasts and other stories of, of other people who attempted and didn't succeed. And when they get to that point, I've heard a lot of people call people who choose suicide. I've heard people call them cowards. But the reality is when they get to that point, they literally feel like everyone will be better off without them. They're so miserable with themselves and just so it's something I don't even think we can really truly understand if we aren't there. Right. 
They're so miserable that they don't want to exist anymore. That alone breaks my heart for anyone to be in so much pain that they think the only relief is to not exist anymore. Right. But they also feel like they've been a burden, like they're not doing well in life. They're a burden to their loved ones or whatever that is, whatever's going on in their life. And they literally feel like everyone will just be better off without me. And if somebody were to say, well, what about your kids or what about your parents? Well, they'll get over it. Everyone gets over a death. And, you know, they really believe that the world will be better off without them. And I, I just want to say to anybody and everybody who's there. So many people attempt and aren't successful and are always so glad they're alive, you know, when they survive. Right. And there's always something else. There's always something else. Then this is really personal. And I don't ever talk about this, but I believe if my husband hadn't been so concerned about what people would think if they mm. knew anything was wrong with him. I think if he would have stepped fully into help that was available, um, we did put him on the mental health track. Um, this all happened so fast after he sure. retired, um, but his anxiety was debilitating. And I mean, it was just so, so he did get some treatment and they put him on a, what I feel like was a very dangerous cocktail of medications. Mm. And when something wasn't working or he would report it wasn't working, they would just add another one. And it was very, I finally had to take control of those medications because I realized he was not taking them right. right. So I had to completely take control of them. And I think he was so, uh, he was so not himself on that cocktail of medications, right? it still makes me actually really mad. <laughs> I, I get really angry when I talk about this. Yeah. Um, I don't think he would have done what he did if he wouldn't have been on all those medications and he was um, sneaking alcohol on the mm. side. I found out after he, after he died and I'm telling, I'm saying this to you because yeah. of people who might be listening and it might be kind of where David was like in this struggle. Um, when I work with people at the battle within, I teach the meditation and mindfulness there. And a lot of those people are really, I mean, this is kind of like a last ditch They're They really need that a new level of help right? and they're hurting so much. And um, I think sometimes all the psychiatric meds can be really dangerous and I'm not telling anyone don't take the meds because sure, I mean, yeah. we're yeah. crying out loud. We ha you have to sleep. You know, right. I've talked to people who, who didn't sleep for five, six days on end and you, you have to sleep. Right. So if you need the meds, but I would say to anybody who's taking psychiatric meds for anxiety, for depression, for sleep, whatever it is, what else are you doing? And are you mm. taking them right? And are you monitoring them? And are you regularly going to your psychiatrist or your whatever it is? And if an if a if a pill bottle says not to consume alcohol when you're taking it, don't consume the damn alcohol. Right you know, because there it's, it's affecting your brain. So I, I don't feel like David would have gotten in the condition that he was in to, to choose taking his own life. Um, if he wouldn't have been so consumed with the anxiety and everything that I think rushed up at, at retirement that he had right. held down for so many years. And then the, um, you know, that crazy cocktail of drugs that the doctor just kept piling on more and more. So that's for, for, you know, I listen, this is about my pay grade and I probably shouldn't talk about it, but I, I do kind of like to caution people a little bit. Take yeah. Them, take I mean, right. it, and it's a, it's an immediate 
response, right? Of, oh, you're having these, here's these pills, right? And, yes. and for some folks, they take them right and they work. And for other folks, um, they make you feel awful and not like you're in reality. Um, and that's from personal experience. And, but to the point then it's like, okay, well, it, it can't take any of this stuff. Um, but it's a, it's also not a one stop shop, right? These don't magically no. fix things and, and, and user experience varies, right? There's some folks I know that have taken them for a long time and they are good to go. Yeah. Uh, no side effects, nothing. And other folks, it's an awful, awful thing. So if you're, it, yes. And if you're yes. someone who's not having the good experience, you don't feel right. You don't feel good. That You just can't let it go. That's, you're right. just going to have to get to know your provider really well. Yes. And go back and talk and be honest because they can't adjust. You just have to get someone yep. that will pay attention to you. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I felt like my husband's psychiatrist was just like, I've got like three minutes. I'm just going to get, you know, here, just add this, add this, add this. I mean, that's kind of what it felt like. Yeah. yeah you, you just, you have to be really invested in yourself and, and do it right and make sure just keep going back, keep talking to your doctor and until you can, until you can get that right. And I still would ask you, what else are you doing? How are you right. eating? Are you getting fresh air? Are you exercising? Are you taking care of your relationships? Like all the things, right? All the other things that yep. we need to be doing too for self-care. Which which is funny. I just turned the page on my notes, which which I already knew what was on the other page, but that's another uh, great you know segue is so medication, they make a difference, but there's so much more to do. And that a ton of that is in your book, which is great. So you hear about your story, David's story, stories from other first responders uh, of all kinds, veterans as well. And then, okay, here's here's some tools that you can use, you should use, you should combine this, whatever the mix is. And I think that's part of it too. So you not only with your doctor, with your therapist, with whomever, you know, medical professional, you have to be your own advocate uh, or have someone with you that can, and that can be hard for folks, you know, if you're single or whatever. Right. And so, um, you, but you have to do that. You also have to be your own advocate to take action, to do these other things. And on your, to your point, you haven't slept well in three or four days, you're still the only person that can get you up out of bed and do it. And some days that is awful, right? It's just, it's super hard to do, but, but you can do it. And, and, and just to, to, to share on that. So for folks that if you feel like that and every time, whether it's Twitter, anywhere, someone's like, what's a book you've read? What's a quote? It's always um, man search for meaning from Viktor Frankl. And it's always, you know, if you have your why you can figure out your how, and he was for, uh, quoting, you know, Nietzsche on that, but it's, it's amazing. And this was a guy, right. That was taken his family killed during the Holocaust. Like you want to talk about worst possible and, and not to do as, as my other, my friend that was a corn with me that, and we've had some back and forth discussions, similar you know, things. We're not going to do the trauma Olympics on who's is worse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, which people can get into, but that perspective is amazing. And, and if you want to look at an example of someone that was in the worst possible situation, probably a human could be, uh, it was that guy. And even, you know, when you read through that book, one, it's really well-written, you smart guy, but when you get that perspective of, okay, today is awful. I didn't sleep. I'm exhausted. I don't want to eat. I'm anxious, but realize, um, you know, I, I have a why, whether it's, you know, and sometimes that's hard to find to the point, like we mentioned earlier, some folks, their why is gone seemingly. And so, you know, for that, I don't have an answer, but I think using a lot of these tools ahead of time to build up your resilience or pull back some of the anxiety can make a difference. And, and so you mentioned when you started, you were in, you know, transcendental meditation throughout the years. I'm sure you learned a bunch of different techniques 
And, you know, in the book you mentioned, and it goes in a lot more detail, but, you know, a few, as simple as a, a few moments or minutes of just like uninterrupted quiet. Yeah. It's like a great place to start. Yeah. What I specialize in is teaching introductory meditation. That's kind of my jam is bridging that gap between people who think it's weirdo, hippy dippy, airy fairy, you know, whatever. And, you know, and then the the people on the far side that, you know, meditate two hours a day and everything, but to bridge (laughs) that gap. Right. And I, I teach it to people in a very mainstream, straightforward, plain language way. And so every class I teach, every talk I give, everybody, you know, that asks me about it, I always talk about the evidence-based benefits mm-hmm. and that's, you know, support meditation. And, um, and then I, so yeah, and I think I just lost my train of thought. Yeah. <laughs> evidence-based meditation. I mean, in everything in two points. So I did, I did like a a goal rush, a grab. I was like, I need to find solutions. I need to do something, you know, someone to talk to these things to help me feel better to sleep. Right. I got into all the sleep hygiene, you know, which my sleep hygiene was awful, which probably no. most people that have problems what are. Yeah. Um, and so I, I dug into a lot of that too. And it was, you know, your book, um, the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk, like all these really good you know, traumas. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Um, but in all of them and other things I read yoga, meditation, um, walking in nature, like a, a lot of the similar stuff, but, but the, the science behind meditation and mindfulness, and those get kind of used interchangeably. Can, can you kind of tease the difference of those? Like is, is mindfulness, does meditation fall under as a tool that's part of overall mindfulness or how do those go together? Cause I see them together a lot in different sources. Yeah. And people get very confused. Um, I talk to more newbies, like beginners than anybody else. So here's the way I view them this is the way I use them. And this is the way that I teach them to people. Okay. Um, I think of meditation as a daily exercise or a daily practice. Gotcha. And then mindfulness is kind of a more of a way of being or like a state of being more present in each moment and more present in your life. And what I mean by that is not always mentally distracted, focusing on things from the past, which we love to do as humans. We love to ruminate about the past, you know, go over and over things, not projecting ourselves always into the future, worrying and anxiety and fears and precautionary thinking and all that. Um, but uh, developing the ability to bring yourself into the present moment, be in the present moment, because there's relief available in the present moment. And so um, I, I usually will say meditation is to mindfulness as exercises to fitness. So if you want to improve uh, your overall physical fitness, you know, you have to exercise and right. not, not once, <laughs> you know, yeah. you have to, you exercise daily or regularly, right. and then, you know, that's going to increase your physical fitness. So to me, meditation is that daily exercise or practice. And gotcha. it, it just sort of, um, um, invites more mindful awareness and mindful presence into your days. It kind of mindfulness then will kind of weave itself into the tapestry of your days and you'll learn you'll train yourself then to pause to get into the present moment to Mm -hmm. take a breath to respond instead of being reactive and things like that and i I, a minute ago i lost my train of thought i remember what i was going to say um you said something about um and i was tying it into meditation that the the these tools we're we're talking about these skills Mm -hmm. and tools um and you said something about when people are in really bad shape, when they have that really bad day right? and they, like, I don't want to get out of bed today. I'm so full of anxiety. I can't eat. I, you know, like everything feels bad. 
um, that's probably not the day to try and force yourself to meditate. Um, But, but if you will meditate, take a walk, do a two minute breathing exercise, do a one minute mindful exercise, um, anything, you know, find, find something in this list. It doesn't have to be even what we're talking about. There are many other tools and, and skills, but do them on the days when you do feel better. You know, you have to do them as a, as a habit when you are feeling better. And then when those bad days hit, first of all, you'll notice that the bad days aren't so frequent and, and not so intense. If you start integrating self-care tools and, and then if you apply the self-care tools, whatever you choose on the days when you feel better, then you're going to feel really good about yourself because you won't be as resistant. Right. So there's just, I mean, it takes, it's a little heavy lifting in the beginning, especially if you're in a pretty well-worn path of misery. Right. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. And the the cumulative effect, it's not, it's not an uh, instant acting pill to put you to sleep, right? It's a cumulative effect of how you retrain, literally rewire your brain to, to work better, different, I don't know, you know, what the right uh, word there is, but but yeah, and, and it has to be over and over time. I, I just caught up with a good buddy of mine. It's a um, prior captain. I was emergency manager and same thing. We, we talked about, I use the app headspace all the time, no sponsorship, but you know, if you're listening, I'll talk about you all the time. Hey, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> um, but it, but it's good. Right. But, it, and it's anywhere from two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes to your point. I think, I don't know the, the ones I use go up to half an hour, which I haven't gone that long yet either, but, but as much as that much a day, um, every day or on the good days to your point when you're starting, uh, like do the, do the short one. Right. And really it's getting you to take those breaths, sit there, do a body scan, and then you're done. Right. And it just gets longer with different intervals that kind of way. I'm sure there's, there's other different ways too, but, um, to, to that, when you're doing meditation, breathing and breath work, right. And as you, you know, that, as you say that the, uh, the breath is the body's natural stress reliever, right. It, it re-regulates system, which is amazing when you were first learning and then kind of evolved your, your meditation practices was, was breath work, just a huge part of that. I just remember being taught that the breath carries you into the meditation and that the breathing was really so kind of finding your center, engaging with your breathing, paying Mm -hmm. attention to your breathing, slowing it down, deepening it, really breathing. I remember that all being part of, you know, kind of initiating the meditation, carrying you into the meditation. Um, and now there, I mean, that was 46 years ago <laughs> that wow. I had that first training, that initial yeah. training. Um, and now there's so much research on, on just breathing, breathing exercises. Right. So I and my team, we really emphasize breathing exercises because that can kind of be like the gateway drug <laughs> to mm-hmm. meditation or in mindfulness eventually. And it's something that people aren't as resistant to. Right. Um, and then, the, and then the only problem is remembering to do it. You have to become aware. And this, this, this in and of itself is a mindful exercise or a mindful awareness. You have to begin to become aware when you are dysregulated. So when you're freaking out and, and, and when the, all the alarms are going off, whatever happens to you, the breathing gets labored or choppy your shoulders get real tight, you clench your teeth, your gut feels bad, like whatever it is that happens, you have to start to recognize that mm-hmm. and stop just living with it. Because some people are, right. they're like a fish in water, right? Because their stress response kicks in so regularly and they're so used to living in stress and chaos that 
they're just in it. Right. Like they don't even realize how much they live in it, but that wears down your biological systems over time. So if you don't want to continue, you're marinating in stress hormones. So right. you you don't want to continue to do that. And any little, any little practice or any little tool, one minute tool that you can do to, to help kind of reset that. And that is, um, that's the thing that I, I share with people, especially who are new to this or a little bit skeptical. I have ever so many tricks, tips, and tools to teach people how to meditate at right. all kinds of different approaches because we're all different. Sure. We all have different learning styles and all that. Um, and then, you know, people get really hung up on, I can't possibly sit still for 15 minutes. No way. So I'm like, okay, how about you start with one minute and let's do something really simple. And then you just do one minute a day until you hit a day. I don't care if it's in six months that you say, I think I can add a minute now. Now, now do two minutes, just make it doable. Right. In fact, I have, um, a, I have a totally free 21 day meditation course on, nice. on the Academy. It's not open right now. It, it You can sign up for it, but I open it every so often. And um, so I'll give you that information. And it, again, people can reach to out it. to me, but that's a, a, a good way. And, and when I tell you it's free, I mean, it's, it's free. It's not like free. And then I, you know, email you four Spam times a day email. to yeah. buy something from here. And it was free because it, it really is my way of just dip your toe in the pool. Just try some different things. It's 21 days of trying some different approaches. And I just have very, very short little lessons, five minute lessons. Nice. And um, so that's a good way to experiment with it. I, I mean, if I can just say one thing to Please. people listening about meditation and mindfulness, if you think it's, if you're rolling your eyes or you're skeptical, or you think it's weird or hippy dippy BS or whatever, if you could just set those preconceptions aside for a minute right. and go take a look at the evidence-based benefits, you know, pick up a book. And um, because it, it is a way, it's a really, these are really powerful tools we can use to use earlier. You said rewire your brain. We can right. actually rewire yes, our brain. Legit, we can yeah. cool off our own stress response. You know, we can, they're empowering practices. Mm -hmm. They are. Yeah. And, and I think one of the, best benefits I got was in sleep. So I did the whole, and it's, you know, not a cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, uh, podcast, but I, I did one of those. So go listen to got sleep. Um, but that makes a difference and really the sleep hygiene, right? Like don't look at your screen late, you know, turn the lights down, kind of a whole routine, but with that, and I usually do it earlier in the day and I, I did some sleep meditation things too, but the cumulative effect of being able to calm myself down, if I happen to wake up going, well, like that, you're like, oh, okay. And then breathing, let me do like box breathing, right? One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, you know, one, two, three, four, like that. And you just can show yourself back out pretty, yes. pretty well, pretty easily. And it's not, you know, all the time, but it's, it's most, it's a lot of the time when you are into it. And because you're, plus you also to the point of, you know, you feel when you're not in fight or flight all the time. Right. And, and I'm not on call. I don't do that work anymore. So I don't have an on shift off shift where my mindset has to change as much anymore. Uh, if anything, it's, do I have chores now? Or do I have a, a work call, you know, something like that working at home. But um, that that's a real tangible to me benefit and, and a lot of other things overall, because I'm sure during the day, but, but when you go to sleep, if you have, if you're stressed or anything, um, if you, if you do this practice, you, you can calm yourself down a lot more so you can sleep better. And then of course that cycle of sleeping better than helps all the other stuff. And it's this whole connected 
you know, circle um, that's all, and all the other stuff. Yeah. Yes. It's all connected. Mental health, emotional health is health, yeah. health, sleep, what you eat, fresh air, breathing properly. It's all connected. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. I mean, if one breathing technique, you don't like it, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't really calm you down. Then there's 30 more <laughs> you can go try. And yeah. what it boils down to Kevin is self-regulation self-regulation, right. the power to regulate yourself when you feel out of control or when you feel overwhelmed or stressed. I mean, that's like a superpower. That is. And yeah. I don't know any, I really don't know a path to self-regulation other than breathing, meditation, mindful practices, you know? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and it's regulation, not masking, right. With something else. Um, but to your point, so, yeah. so a lot of these tools are in there to get started in mindfulness for warriors in the book. However, there's also a whole academy, right. That you mentioned, you put out, um, sources, right. So pause first, um, pause one, first academy. Yeah. Pause, pause first, first academy. academy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, what's in the name? How'd you get to that? And then, uh, let's get into a lot of the stuff you provide, which is awesome. Um, not just, you know, online like this, but for, other academies and, and, you know, departments around the country. So how did, how did you come to pause first Academy? How did that come about? Okay. Super quick readers digest. I was teaching mindfulness and meditation in corporate settings for several years before my husband died. So I kind of understood about presenting and talking and PowerPoint and, and, you know, things like that. Um, and so the first thing I did was put together a half day training called an introduction to meditation and mindfulness. And I started teaching that to first responders. And then I wrote the book and then I was asked to do a few keynote speeches around the book. And, and, and as I traveled around and taught that I met a lot of first responders and um, one by one, I met people that I just clicked with that I really liked. And so um, when I decided uh, I think this is really something that needs to happen. I, I think this, this training just for first responders and co completely stopped doing corporate jobs, turned my full attention to first responders. So one by one, I asked these people if they wanted to come and work with me somehow, you know, do training together. They were all first responders and, and or veterans. They all had an interest in wellness and resilience building, and they all had experience teaching in their own professions already. Nice. And um, so now I have a team. Um, my core team is six of us. They're all, they all have backgrounds as veterans and first responders. And we do in-person trainings, so like in-service training, keynote, sure. we do conferences and things like that. But we have the online platform, Pat, nice. Pause First Academy, and we all do online training there too. And we have, yes, meditation, mindfulness, yoga, but you know, you're learning yoga from a retired detective. <laughs> and in your learning meditation Great. from a retired police officer who now um, teaches law enforcement, teaches meditation and mindfulness law enforcement. He also is a chaplain now, and he also oh, works wow. with with um, inc incarcerated people, right? So you, these are all people who have done similar jobs. They're your peers. And we have that, but we have also just, there's an anger management, you know, conflict okay. resolution. There's, um, oh, there's, there's one on emotional, uh, intelligence. You know, there's a whole, um, I think we have 46 published courses now. And most of our wow. members, it's a subscription, it's a membership. Most of our members are organizations nice. who purchase the subscription and give the memberships to their employees for free. So like Missouri Department of Corrections is our biggest client. Oh, cool. I think they have like around 8,000 employees. 
So, and they just renewed, renewed with us for their third year. And, um, Yeah. So I'm super proud of what we're doing. I'm really, I love my team so much. I'm, I'm, I feel really happy to be surrounded by such smart heart centered people. And, um, I mean, this is just what we're doing now. (laughs) We're just trying to help people get out of stress response 24 seven. That's it. A noble cause, a challenging one, I'm sure, especially when their job is stress, stress responses, you know, and all day, every day you mentioned, um, correction. So I talked to a good buddy of mine, um, about uh, substance abuse, right? And law enforcement, his story, um, he had struggles with it too. And he mentioned corrections and part of the stats I kind of use, I like to start with a quote or stats or something like that. And, um, but a big part of it was corrections, right? And the perspective he gave me, cause he was police, now he's with sheriffs. So, you know, he had the patrol perspective and now he's got like that jail perspective that was, that I never thought about was, you know, as a police officer, I can go to a call and then I leave that call and then I can go get lunch with my buddy. These guys are in jails and prisons all day long. Right. So yeah. it's, it's, it's not the greatest environment as you can imagine. And so that constant uh, is just a whole nother level, you know, in person kind of similar to dispatchers, right. They're getting call after call after call after call, and hopefully they give them a break and I have an episode coming up soon, which is great from someone that, that is, you know, doing um, therapy and grants and stuff for the, for the 911 dispatchers, right. Cause they're, Yay. you know, it's, it's not as, I know, as I've talked about it, they don't have kind of the sexy woo woo lights and sirens kind of thing. But as we all know, they get the first call, they hear it, they're on the line. It's probably harder because they can't put their hands on somebody and make a direct difference. You know what I mean? Even though if they make a giant difference in talking to somebody and, 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 um, but that perspective and corrections and then, you know, just being exposed constantly gave me a new perspective for them, which I didn't think about because yeah. right? the environment yeah. they're in is nonstop. I've learned a ton from doing this work. I have a dispatcher in my book. I don't know if you remember reading her, her story, but her, oh my gosh. And I, I really learned a lot from her. And um, she was, she's a dis, dispatch supervisor and I went to do a ride along. Um, oh, and wow. her, and, it, it, and she, you know, she was, you know, kind of my, my guide that day. And I, I was going to do a whole shift. And I think I lasted 30 minutes uh, because I happened to be there when a real horrible call came in. Horrible, yeah. horrible. And that led me to this whole, you know, new arena of discovery about what dispatchers actually do, what they do for us, first of all, right. society, what they do for, for police officers, right? what they do for the people who call in and just what they are doing, you know, for us as a society. And they're so, they've been so overlooked. So I'm glad to hear that you're yep. doing an episode on that for sure. And yep. I've learned a ton about corrections and um, it's, it's such hard work and, and um, they don't get nearly enough attention, right. you know, as they should. Yep. And uh, it's crucially important work. <laughs> I mean, you know, we really no need these people. Yeah. And so I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I have somebody um, in, in my next book that is, has worked in corrections. I have somebody in mind. I haven't asked him yeah. yet, but I'm, I'm hoping he'll participate because yeah, it's just really, I think it's really important for um, all of us to understand each other. Right. And then, yeah. you know, and then I think down the road, I would love to be, um, I would love to contribute to educating the public right. about what you guys do for us. You know what you've done. I mean, I know you're not out, out on the street anymore, but you, you, you did the work yeah, before. And sure. People take it for granted. They don't understand um, just how hard it is. And so anyway, yeah, that's awareness. a great point. And in, in the um, talking about correction, just it made me think about kind of the whole cycle of right. Someone's worst day could involve all of those people at some point. Right. You know, something mm-hmm. happens, fire and a mess are there, police are there, usually all together, depending on the call. You know, say someone gets arrested, they end up in jail, right? 
before that they went through number one and then their perspective on it. And this was, you know, not to go down a political rabbit hole, but when we talked about like ref- police reform and all this, we need to teach crisis intervention. Well, well, where I was, and I know a lot of places that's taught, right? It's taught, Hey, I see you're upset. I'm here to help like these four plays you do. And we were lucky. We got to do that with EMS where I was and, and it, and it works. I mean, it does, um, but it's not new. Right. It's not revolutionary, but the perspective that I think the public could benefit from, uh, to your point, I think would be great to have more of. And it's neat to see now and, and probably in the past, you know, two, three years, um, there's an I forget his channel, but there's a police officer who puts citizens in situations that were based on real situations. Right. As you can imagine, doesn't always go very well. Right. Wow. <laughs> it's pretty awesome because the you know, from the sideline, it's easy to see a snippet of a phone video or this or that or or something or a call like, hey, on that call, I would have just done this. But you've never, ever oh been gosh. trained or gone in the street, right? Whether it's police, fire, mess, but this is police. Yeah. And, and it's happening uh, in real time. Yeah. It's happening in real time. And it's fast. Yep. And people want to fight you. I mean, it's like watching a football game and watching the slow motion replay. And you can't believe you didn't catch that ball. Really? <laughs> Try being on the field and watching it in real time. And that's, you know, that's yep. what firefighters and EMS and police are dealing corrections officers. Mm-hmm. That's what they're dealing with. Like it's, it's real time. It's fast. It's, it's life or death, you know? Absolutely. So we don't, we don't need a bunch of armchair quarterbacks. Right. Right. That don't do the job saying what they would have done or <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's absolutely. a whole other, that's I know. a whole other story. I look forward <laughs> to your like book series on public percent or, no, or something, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, is there anything, what's the best way for folks to get in touch to get to pause first, to get to those 40 something courses to, you know, enroll or, or interested, you know, departments, um, how yeah. should they contact you or pause first or all of the, well, they can, anybody can reach me directly. I'm Kim Colgrove at pausefirst.com and, um, pausefirst.com is the website. So that's probably the best way to go see the go team, there. go, you can go to pausefirst.com and then click over to the online site. Or, you know, you can click around on the website and learn more about us. And I just, you know, I welcome anybody to reach out if there's anything we can help you with. You have any questions? Um, I and my team, we're always accessible. We always give out our contact information whenever we travel and speak and teach to people. Um, because sometimes people just need a lifeline or just need some advice or just need someone to talk to. And, you know, we're, we're, we've all, you know, all of us have lost people to, um, to, to, they've all lost people in line of duty death. Right. Um, all of us have lost people to suicide and, um, you know, we not, we're not clinicians and therapists, but we, we are here to, to help. So feel free to reach out anytime. Yep. Well, and thank you. Like I, I mentioned, I, I read the book. It was helpful for me. Um, new stuff, reinforced stuff. And just to hear other people's stories again is also helpful, right? Like, Oh, I'm not the only one. Um, which, which is interesting because I think inherently responders know that, but it's good to hear it again or read it again or see that. And, and of course, mindfulness for war is available. I'll, I'll assume Amazon, uh, plus other yeah. places or your yeah, library. Amazon, I got mine in my local library, which is it's great. It's available on, and audible. If you don't really like audible? to read that much, uh, you can listen to it, but it is, I, I kind of pride myself on the fact that it is a very simple, easy read. And I, I've been, so many people have reported that to me. People who know yeah. me say, Reading the book is exactly like talking to you. And I, I take that as a, a high praise. I like that it's kind of conversational, but um, it's an easy read. Yep, it is. I, I agree. It was- oh, it's a hard read. Okay, let me, <laughs> wait, yeah, wait, wait. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it, it might need a trigger warning. So parts of it are hard to read, but um, it, but it's a quick read. 
Yep. Yeah. The content is heavy, but yeah, that's one of my first notes was uh, exactly that. So I'll add to the uh, easy to read, easy to understand, but yeah, hard to hear sometimes, but sometimes we need to hear hard things, honestly, and kind of, you know, learn people's stories, your story. I'm sorry that that is your story. Um, I'm thankful that you're helping others through that. Uh, and I hope folks that are listening are as well. Please go to, you know, pausefirstacademy.com. Is that a uh, right website? It's, it's pausefirst.com. Pausefirst.com. Yeah. And then the online platform is called Pause First Academy. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So check that out. Um, read the book. Uh, reach out directly to Kim. Uh, and Kim, thank you so much for being on the Kev Talks podcast. And, and thank you. Uh, thank you, know, thank you for what you do this. too. I listened to some of your episodes. Good stuff. Thank you. Good. Yep. Absolutely. I think. You know, if we get this info, if we've learned from our hardships, right, or good chips, if you know, good things, um, this is a great platform to put it out there in the world. And and kind of we should be kind of like if we learn about someone that needs help, we're obliged to help if if we find ways to help others, uh, just like you are. So I'm happy to help. I appreciate your time uh, and look forward to seeing your next book. Do you? So you mentioned that. So I know it's kind of kind of at the end, but you mentioned that. Do you have a, a name or a focus for that yet? Yeah, the next book is called Wellness Warrior Style. And oh, it's nice. going to be a little bit of a memoir. Again, I'll, I'll have a little, some personal stuff in there, but I'm going to do some new interviews. And cool. then I'm really going to cover kind of basically all of the resources and tools that the, the people in the first book mentioned and what I and my team teach. It's just going to be a book full of tools and resources and, and, and um, accessible for warriors, you know, and, nice. and, and, um, offered for warriors, meaning I know my audience, you know, I, I right. know you're not uh, always open to the touchy feely stuff right up front. So it doesn't have to be a wishy-washy approach. You know, you can, you can approach self-care like a warrior. There you go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 That's right. Good deal. We'll look forward to that. Thanks for listening everybody. For more great interviews and solo episodes, please go to kevtalkspod.com, subscribe on your favorite platform, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be really helpful, uh, and let me know how I'm doing. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at PinnellKG, and there's also at kevtalkspod, so I post to both of those about the show. And remember, everybody, have a plan, stay informed, and get involved so you can make that difference in the world. Godspeed. Godspeed.